Good morning, everyone. Well, today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 26, and can be found in the Church Bibles on 1152. Correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It will help if you can keep... Uh, that passage open in front of you. As we think together about the act of remembrance. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase that the best things in life are free. Is that something you subscribe to? I feel like I'm about to to do one of those sort of terrible things that people do on the internet called the hot take, which is say everyone else is wrong, everything you believe is rubbish. But I want to say to you, I do not believe that the best things in life are free. But you'll say to me, well, come on, Nick. The smile on a baby's face. How do you pay for that? The beauty of the countryside around us. Who pays for that? These best things in life cannot be bought. They are free to everyone. And yet when you think about the best things in life, if you were to go away, and sometimes this is quite a good thing to do, I think, and make a list, The Bible does tell us to count our blessings, to make a list of the very best things in your life. If you were to sit and think about them, I think you might come to the conclusion that they're not free after all. I think about some of the best things in my life. I think about my family, the family I grew up in. Now, I recognise this has not been all of our experience, but I had the enormous privilege of growing up in a happy, stable home with parents who loved each other and who loved us. 
It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. My parents uh, loved me enough to do everything they could to give me the best start in life. And they loved me enough to say no to me when what I wanted was not good for me. Now, when I think about those things, and I give thanks to God for the privilege of them, is it true that they're free? I suspect when you really think about it, the answer to that question is no, they are not free. The costs my parents bore in making sure that I had what I needed as I was growing up. The, the constant hard work, and those of us who are married or who have been married, we know this, the constant hard work that leads to a happy marriage and a happy family. The constant need to forgive each other. Not to mention the extreme cost of saying no to a rather headstrong and sometimes very angry little boy. That's me. Saying no to children, and those of us who are parents know this, don't we? Saying no to children is costly. They're angry with us. At least sometimes. At least I was. It's painful. Actually, the most basic things of, of growing up in a family, you recognise there's cost to them. I want to suggest that the best things in life are not free. It's just that they come at somebody else's expense. And isn't that the story of Remembrance Sunday? We are free to gather here together to worship God without fear. We are free to go about our lives knowing that we live in a country where there is the rule of law where there are personal freedoms enshrined in that law that mean that we can't just be arbitrarily arrested because someone in the government doesn't like us. Now, that is not a given in human history. Far from it. That is actually a relatively rare experience for the ordinary human person to live in that sort of freedom and that sort of security. And why do we enjoy those freedoms? Why do we enjoy that security? Well, it's not because those things are inevitable. And it's not because those things don't come at a cost. It is, at least in part, and to a very great extent, because in various conflicts, not least the First and Second World Wars, brave men and women have borne that cost for us. Other people have died so that we can live, so that we can enjoy the lives that we live. Other people have given their freedom so that we can be free. Isn't that really what remembrance is about? The best things in life that we enjoy, far from being free, have come at enormous cost. It's just that someone else has picked up the tab. Someone else has paid. Actually, a huge number of others have paid. 
And so, and rightly, we remember. We recall the price that others have paid for us. But that sort of remembering doesn't come easy. We have a tendency to forget. It comes naturally to human beings just to take for granted the good things we have in our lives. That's why it's a good thing to count your blessings, to remember that they're gifts. But it doesn't come easy. And actually, our passage from 1 Corinthians this morning tells us that remembering does not come easily. Indeed, within a a few years only of the church in Corinth being founded, they had begun to forget. The meal that the Lord Jesus gave as an act of remembrance of him has become in that church something quite different. So that Paul says to them in verse 20, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Whatever it is you're doing, it's not what this is about. He says, referring to the Lord's Supper or what we frequently call Holy Communion. He goes on in verse 23 to talk about what the supper actually is. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. What do you notice about that? Before... Jesus began his journey to the cross as he stood on the edge of that precipice before Judas betrayed him, before he was arrested, before he was put on trial, before he was led to the place of execution. He gathered his disciples together and said, this is how you're going to remember. On the night that he was betrayed, he showed them how to remember. And remembering isn't just sort of occasionally looking back and calling something to mind. You can't rely on that. The Corinthians prove it. You need an act. You need something to do that brings the past back into the present. So when Israel uh, were about to be set free from Egypt when God was going to send his destroying angel through the land to set them free but passing over the houses of the Israelites so that they would not suffer judgment again the thing God did was he gave them a meal and he said this is how you're to remember and every year you are to do this for the rest of history you are to do this so that you will remember. So acts of remembrance are really important. And that's why I think it's, it remains right and appropriate that not just as a nation, but actually within the church, we remember the fallen. We remember the cost that people have borne on our behalf. 
on the memorial to the second division of the English infantry at Kohima. It says, go home to them and say, and speak of us and say, for your tomorrows we gave our today. It is right and appropriate that we have this act of remembrance that together we keep silence We remind ourselves to remember. Because the cost is huge. Modern warfare is terrible beyond our imagining. Many of those who go into it do not return. But those that do, many of them will never be the same. They too bear the cost. And it's right that we remember them today, too. There was an extraordinary man in our church in in Birmingham. He was touching 90 at least by the time uh, we arrived in uh, in Edgbaston. Uh, And uh, he explained to me that uh, it was a Christmas tradition that he took the vicar and his wife uh, to a concert uh, before Christmas. And I climbed with him into the powerful Audi that he still drove and clung in terror to my seat as he sped through the streets of Birmingham. I'm not normally a nervous person, but honestly, my knuckles were white. I mentioned this to someone later on. They said, oh, you don't need to worry about Roger. He drove a a tank onto the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. If he can get through that, he can probably get you around the streets of Brum. So a while later, I I asked Roger about it. I said, Roger, what was it like being involved in D-Day? What was it like? On reflection, I realized that was an extremely naive thing to to do and to ask him, but he just went very quiet. And then after a moment, he said, I would not want to do it again. And then that was the end of that. He had no more to say on the matter. People have experienced awful, extraordinary things. And it's right that we remember. But that remembering should also trigger for us a far greater remembrance, a more regular remembrance, one that we share in this service once every month but in other ways more regularly even than that. That if peace, security, the rule of law are good things for which we should be thankful and recognise that others have paid the cost of them for us in blood, there is a far greater sacrifice that brings far better things. This is what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples. This, he said, is what you must remember. This is the heart of everything. And friends, if you wouldn't call yourselves Christians uh, today, this is what is absolutely at the heart of the Christian faith. This is what Jesus said to his disciples just before he began that terrible journey to the cross on which he was executed.
He took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It only really struck me this week, for the first time, I think, exactly who it is that we proclaim the Lord's death to when we do share that supper, when we break bread and drink wine and remember these words from Scripture and say the body of Christ was broken for you, the blood of Christ was shed for you. Who do we proclaim his death to? We proclaim it to ourselves. We remember. Now, I'm not saying that's all there is to Holy Communion. I'm not suggesting that it is simply an act of remembering, but it is nothing less than an act of remembering. It is a regular means by which we're called back to the central claim of the Christian faith, which is this that we have wandered far from God. That in the thoughts of our hearts and the words of our mouths and the actions of our bodies, we have put ourselves far out of reach of a relationship with him. We've brought death into our world and upon ourselves. But God has broken into our world, taken a body to himself, so that he could die in our place. That he could literally pick up the tab that we have run up with our rebellion against the ways and the laws and the heart of God. He died so that we can live. He was cut off from his father so that we could be united to him. And to me, that has a particular poignance today. As we remember that there are many who gave their todays for our tomorrows, to know that God himself has done that, but in a more ultimate way, and to offer us a life that doesn't end. To offer us blessings that are unimaginably great. To offer us a relationship with the God who made us. As we reflect on the cost people have borne for our national peace and security, it's right that we reflect on the cost that God himself has borne to give us life. The best things in life are not free. They come at someone else's expense. And what that means for us as Christians, those of us who are, as we live in this world, is that it gives us freedom to live in a way that is hard to imagine if you don't know this and believe it. 
Because most of us, at least, if we're not Christian, live with the thought, maybe the worry, that maybe there really is a God. And maybe one day I really will have to face him and give an account for my life. Now, often we push those thoughts down because they're uncomfortable, because if I do have to give an account to God for my life, what will I say? Will I have enough in the bank to pay the bill? Will my good deeds outweigh my bad? The answer God gives us in his word, the Bible, is no, you won't. Our good deeds can never be enough to cover over the evil that lies in our hearts. But if you're a Christian, you can go through life a bit like I went through a meal in New York many years ago. I did some work uh, for a fabulously wealthy man who was very generous and very hospitable. Uh, and uh, I was out in, in New York doing some work for him, and uh, he took me out for lunch. I mean, he also took me out for dinner, but we'll talk about lunch. And he took me to a restaurant in New York of the sort that I would always walk quite quickly past. Not because it was rough, but because it was frighteningly nice. To look at the sort of restaurant where they don't put prices on the menu. Because if you have to ask, you can't afford it. I tried to imagine what it would have been like to go into that restaurant, wondering whether I was going to be able to afford to pay at the end of the meal. What would I order? Would I enjoy it? Well, I have no idea what I'd order. What looks cheap? (laughs) But would you enjoy a meal like that? if you were sat there wondering who was going to pay at the end. I would have sweated my way through that meal and enjoyed not one mouthful if I thought I was going to have to pay. But my friend, as well as being generous, understood human nature and made it very clear before we went in that he was footing the bill. So I could Joy, the meal, I could relax and I could know. I could eat in the freedom of knowing that the bill was not going to come due to me, but was being paid by someone else. So I didn't sit there worrying about what was coming at the end. I was able to enjoy it in peace and freedom, and so to enjoy the company of my friend and the others who were with us. I take it you get the point. There is an extraordinary peace and freedom that comes with knowing that Jesus has already picked up the tab, that God has paid a price we could never pay. And we need to be reminded of that constantly because we so quickly forget. Just as we need to be reminded and as we will be reminding each other in a few minutes' time of the costs that many have borne for our peace and our safety 
and our security.